That was kind of creepy. It was. In a good way. Maybe you, like me, grew up with Richard Kipling's Just So stories. I loved them when I was a child. And they were these strange little tales that gave fanciful answers to why things in the world are the way they are. And one of my favorites was called How the Elephant Got Its Trunk. And it, start, uh, and it, it tries to explain how the elephant's nose is so very long. The story begins like this. In the high and far off times, the elephant, oh best beloved, had no trunk. He had only a blackish, bulbous nose as big as a boot that he could wiggle about from side to side but he couldn't pick things up with it. And then Kipling goes on to describe how this elephant child had a most satiable curiosity and wanted to know what crocodiles have for dinner. And so he walked down to the banks of the great gray-green greasy Limpopo River to ask the crocodile who then grabbed his nose, and in the ensuing tussle, the baby elephant found out, A, what crocodiles like to have for dinner, which is baby elephants, and B, by the end of the tussle, had a long and marvelous trunk. Just so. Some of the stranger stories in the book of Genesis have the feel of a just-so story. like They're there to answer the persistent questions that we all have about the world. Like, where did we come from? And why is being human so damned difficult? And why are we so afraid of snakes? And why do we have such a hard time understanding one another. Genesis 2, the Adam and Eve story, wrestles with the first three questions. Including the part about the snakes. And Genesis 11, that we just got to read a little bit ago, answers the last one. It is a just-so story for why it is that it's so hard to understand each other. And it even starts like a just-so story. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. But instead of a curious elephant child, we have hubristic humans. Then they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. They wanted to be like the gods. And so in this Genesis tale, God confuses their language and scatters them out across the earth so that they can't join together 
to build the tower. And the unfinished city is called Babel, just so. This is why, according to the story, people can't understand each other. It's the result of human pride and hubris that needing to make a name for oneself. And ever since then, and up to this day, human history has been filled with confusion and violence and babel sounds, babel sounds, fear and death and loneliness. Now, the Tower of Babel story was never meant to be read as historical. Its portrait of civilization's origin is simplistic and quaint. And let's not even talk about its portrait of God. It is not. It's problematic. It's not okay. <laughs> but while it's not historical, it is true. At the core is this deep truth that humanity's ills are caused in large part by our misunderstanding and alienation from each other, by the excessive pride of tribe and nation, by ego-driven overreach and trying to bend creation to the breaking point for the hubristic wants of the most powerful among us. The story answers very accurately the question we still ask. How did we get so divided? And I don't know about you, but that question comes up all the time in conversation with folk over these last years. How did our country get like this? People say to me. How did my family get like this? Sometimes people say. What do I do when I can't talk to my neighbor without it turning into a fight? We started talking about flowers and then talking about politics. It's not just language that divides us these days. In fact, language we can pretty much get over. I, I don't know if you've discovered Google Translate, but it's great. <clears throat> Today, we are almost 8 billion people, and some of the oldest things in the world continue to divide us. Gender expression and color and economic systems and politics and theology. And we've thrown some new twists in on that. Masks and vaccines. And what do you do with the letter Q? Or Z. Or Z. The same pride and hubris of Babel makes it hard, seemingly impossible, for us to hear the voices today that are different from our own. We demonize and dehumanize the other. We project our shadow selves onto them so that anything we do against them can feel righteous to us. And that any agreement with someone on the opposite side can feel like a betrayal, a, a, a caving in. We see this on TV in our polarized 24-7 news cycle. We see it especially in social media, which for its argu arguable benefits uh, has given the most destructive, divisive, and fearful voices of our species a historically unique platform to be horrible, to gain power, 
and volume to spread hate and division and falsehood. And falsehood. And this binary of you are 100% with me or you're my enemy. You're a rhino or we're canceling you. No conversation, no dialogue, no learning, no compromise. Today's battle stories that we are living out every day, we don't need a, a, a jealous God to scatter us. We're doing it just fine by ourselves. Thank you very much. Just so. And the world of Jesus' day was not so different, really. There were all kinds of divisions and stratifications within his society, empire and nation and status and race and gender and religion. Just a few weeks ago, we were talking about how after the crucifixion, Jesus' disciples were hiding in the upper room because they were afraid that folks would find out that they were with the Jesus crowd. They were afraid of being persecuted. And now in today's reading, it's seven weeks later, and into all of those divisions of the first century comes this story of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, from the heavens there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each one of them. And each of those disciples began to preach the good news in languages they did not know. God's spirit of love and unity and peace broke through all those human-built walls that divide us, that divided folk then. Everyone who was present could hear the good news in their own language, in their native tongue. The, assemble, the assembled people marveled. Luke puts it this way. How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, which, by the way, was where Babel was. Right. And the list goes on from there. You did a great I, job. <laughs> we won't do it now. They're asking, how is it that we are able to connect with and understand people who are former strangers? How is it that we can understand people who aren't on my own friends list, who belong to that blog? How? Well, this is what the Holy Spirit does, people. God's holy fire blows in and through us, and it opens hearts and ignites minds, and it unclenches closed fists. And it clears our eyes and it unclogs our ears to awaken us to this deep truth. We are one. We belong to creation. We belong to each other. 
because we all belong to God. We are one. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit undoes what Babel did. Babel sowed seeds of division and misunderstanding. Pentecost made it possible for people who didn't understand each other to understand each other and to connect with each other and, more importantly, with the good news of God's love. Babel's just-so story paints an image of a petty and pretty capricious God. The Pentecost story tells us that God is tirelessly working to bring humanity to a wholeness that is rooted in the power of love. Pentecost turns the Tower of Babel upside down. Pentecost is the greatest healing of all the divisions that fracture our common humanity. And Pentecost continues to be our marching orders. For those of us who call ourselves Christians, we're working to follow the example of Jesus. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit. We can be missionaries of unleashed love what Paul called ambassadors of reconciliation. We can be about healing divisions and creating connections and recognizing the common humanity in each other. We want to share with you some words written by Norm Carroll that we felt described this really well. He writes... Now, now we can understand why we can speak in different tongues and be understood, for everyone understands the language of love. Everyone understands the language of love. And our love embraces all peoples. Our acceptance of Pentecostal love destroys all discrimination and hurtful tribalism of every sort. It even summons us to forgive those who have wounded us. Pentecost calls us to reach out to all whom we touch, not in competition or economic or political gain, but in genuine embrace. This is the true Christian mission, not to draw people to a church, but to give ourselves in service to our beloved. Pentecost doesn't mean that we're all going to be the same. Thank God. It doesn't even mean that we'll all agree. It doesn't mean we'll speak the same language, literally or figuratively. And connecting across our differences is always going to be hard work. Because it means genuinely engaging with another human being. but we don't have to do it ourselves. We have the Holy Spirit to help us and, well, inspire us. The Holy Spirit that we we experience at Pentecost is wild and wonderful. Mm -hmm. It's loving and steady and principled and inclusive. 
And because of Pentecost, we too can be wild and wonderful. We too can be loving and steady and principled and inclusive. We can hear beyond all our divisions and we can reach out with love across the greatest chasms. This is what the Spirit does. This is what love does. This is what God does. And filled with the Holy Spirit of Pentecost, it's what we can do. Love. One relationship at a time. Because everyone understands the language of love. Just so.